Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning to celebrate your Mission Sunday. And as uh, Lee mentioned, it was a great privilege for us to have uh, Phil Jones with us at the Cross Culture Church of Christ when we did the Perspectives on World Christian Mission as he prepared to go to Mexico. And we praise God for the ministry that they now share there in disciple-making. This morning our Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we're going to read from verse 19 to verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. This morning I'm going to share with you a story, a story of the Welsh revival and a man by the name of Evan Roberts. In 1903 to 1905, the world experienced the Welsh Revival. It was the largest Christian revival in Wales during the 20th century. It was one of the most dramatic terms of its effect on... It had a huge dramatic effect upon its population and triggered an awakening that swept the rest of Britain, Scandinavia, parts of Europe, North America, the mission fields of India, Africa and Latin America. Dennis Pollock, an author and historian, writes, It is tragic that the life and legacy of Evan Roberts was, has nearly disappeared from the memory of the contemporary church. All who yearn for spiritual awakening cannot afford to be ignorant of this amazing man and the revival in which he figured so prominently. Evan Roberts was the central figure in the Welsh revival, one of the purest classical Holy Spirit outpourings in the history of the church. On one occasion, he was asked, what is the secret for revival? And he answered, there is no secret. Revival comes when God's people pray. Revival comes in answer to the prayer of God's people. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we read, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. In our passage this morning, we see a Christian's freedom. The first statement Paul made in this passage was about his freedom. He said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Verse 19. When a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, 
he or she is free indeed. Jesus frees us from the deadly consequences of our sins and frees us from the burden of trying to measure up to a standard that no one except Jesus could meet. Though we are free in Christ and have the right to many things, it is worthwhile to put away anything that will hinder the progress of spreading the gospel and making disciples. I've been involved in global mission in some form since going to Papua New Guinea in 1964 as part of the first building team at the Christian Leaders Training College. Three scriptures have motivated me and inspired me to be involved in global mission over these years. In Matthew 24, verse 14, we read, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, brothers and sisters, to bring back the king, the body of Christ must make global mission a priority. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 we read, After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So if there will be representatives of every nation, tribe, people and language, how are we doing today, almost 2,000 years since Jesus was on earth. And then in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, a a well-known passage where Jesus commissions his followers. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm very encouraged by the commitment of Monty to to global mission. You're releasing a financial and human resources to reach the nations is inspiring. You support the translation of the scriptures. You stand in prayer and financial support of workers as they make disciples and train and equip believers for ministry in Africa, South America and Central Asia as well as supporting disaster relief and medical care programs. Thousands of dollars each year are released for these very significant ministries. If the church has been charged with reaching the nations for nearly 2,000 years, how are we doing in this 21st century? Well, there's a huge unfinished task that requires focus, that requires partnerships, and desire and and in requires the prayers of God's people. The Joshua Project uh, it reports in 2020 that of the 17,470 people groups in the world, 7,439 are still unreached with the gospel. That is, 42 percent of the world's population have still not heard of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Wycliffe Bible Translators reported in 2020 that of the 7,360 languages in the world, only 3,425 have access to Bibles or portions of the Bible. That means 3,945 languages still don't have the scriptures or portions of the scripture. 
There are many tools today that are being used to communicate the gospel. One of them, of course, is the Jesus film. The Jesus film holds the Guinness Book of Records as the most translated film in history. As of May 2020, it has been translated into 1,859 languages. Since being released in 1979, it is estimated that 8.2 billion people have viewed the film with an estimated 572 million making decisions to follow Jesus. There is Alpha that is being used extensively throughout the world as a tool for evangelism and to reach people about the meaning of life and what Jesus offers. Disciple-making movements see uh, the, the prominence of, of the church, recalls the church to the task of the church of making disciples. And disciple-making movements around the world are blossoming. They're building, uh, you can see on this website that's on the screen, uh, www.bdc.org.au, where there are resources under the title Building a Discipling Culture Within Churches. And so as we do a bird's eye view of what's happening in the world, we're reminded on this Mission Sunday that there is still a large untasked, uh, unfinished task that we are called to as obedient servants of Jesus. In our passage this morning, uh, Paul says he is all things to all people. Notice though Paul was free from all people and free in Christ, he made himself a servant, a slave to everyone. In this passage from chapter 9, Paul literally said that he is enslaved, he has enslaved himself. He voluntarily made himself a slave, a servant, servant to all people that people would believe in Jesus Christ. The attitude of Paul had was that whatever freedom or comfort or, or rights he should have, he would give them all up in order to win more people to Jesus Christ. Paul didn't want anything to disqualify him or to tarnish his preaching of the gospel or to make him less effective for the kingdom of God. Paul would sacrifice whatever he thought he deserved in order that more people would hear and believe the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in verse 22 that he'd become all things to all people. The reason Paul became all things to all people was that he wanted all people to hear and believe the good news. Paul described several ways he had conformed to those he proclaimed the gospel in order to win these people to Jesus. When Paul was with the Jews, he conformed to the Jewish standards, even though he knew such matters were not essential. When Paul was with the Gentiles, He was willing to live like them as long as he didn't disobey God. To those weak, he was willing to not seem superior to them, but to be like them. Paul conformed to those who he was trying to win. Now, does this sound like some sort of politician when politicians will tell you whatever they think you want to hear in order to win their vote? I don't think that is the sense of what Paul is saying here. I think Paul did his best to adapt to the people he served so that he might win more of them to faith in Jesus Christ. Another word we could use for win is recruit. 
Think of God's church as an army fighting the dark spiritual forces of the world. We are at war with the enemy, Satan, and our commander-in-chief Jesus wants us to get out of there and recruit soldiers for his army so that we can battle the enemy. That is the sense of winning people to Christ. Not only do we want to share the good news so that more people will believe and be saved from sin and separation from God, but we want to recruit them to be part of God's army in order to fight the enemy. Paul became all things to all people in order that he might see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. He did everything for the sake of the good news of Jesus. We too have to be determined, to be single-minded, to be persevering like an athlete in training for a big game or a competition. We have to be willing to set aside personal wants and desires and agendas for the sake of the gospel. If there is something we desire, we should evaluate it through the lens of the gospel and determine if it helps or hinders the cause of the kingdom. We ought to run the race well. Run to win. Be gospel driven just like Paul. We come now to the story of Evan Roberts, a man who was driven and empowered by the Spirit of God that saw an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon his people. When we talk about revival, of course, it's like a recalculation. It's a a specific event where the Spirit of God is poured out upon the church for a particular reason. It recalibrates the church so that they are seeking God and his purposes and not being content in themselves. Evan Roberts grew up in a coal mining community and quit school to become a coal miner at the age of 12. At 13, Evan Roberts received Christ as his saviour and from the very beginning, he was extraordinarily sensitive to spiritual things. Shortly after his conversion, he heard a sermon in which the the preacher spoke about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and asked the question to the congregation, what if the Spirit should come in one of our services you were not present? This affected young Roberts deeply and he determined that he would not miss any of the many and varied church meetings that he offered. It was sort of a bit of manipulation by the pastor at the time. Despite his ties and work in the coal mine, he began to attend every prayer meeting, youth meeting or any other meeting offered by the church. This involved him being at church six out of the seven days a week. This he did consistently throughout his teen years. He read and heard about some of the great revivals that had occurred in Wales and other places and became obsessed with the subject. He stated, I could sit up all night to read or talk about revivals. As a young man, he was once forced out of his rented room by his landlady who would hear him pray and preach in his room for hours on end and concluded that he was dangerous or quite likely insane. The Holy Spirit transformed Evan Roberts. Before that time, he had tended to be a serious and somewhat gloomy personality, but now he radiated tremendous joy. Before this experience, he had been a timid and hesitant speaker, but now he spoke with authority and boldness and could hardly be resisted. 
Even his health was improved. He had been physically weak and unable to walk but for short distances, but now found he could walk for miles without tiring. God's instrument was now fully equipped and ready for service. He had the opportunity to attend, col- to, to, to attend college and to prepare for the ministry that God had for him. His parents were puzzled to see their son home from college and more puzzled still when he announced that he had come to speak to the church. Of course, without being invited by the pastor and was considering going through all Wales preaching and winning souls for Christ. The pastor of their home church didn't quite know what to do with Evan. He decided to play it safe and allowed the young Evan to speak only after the main prayer meeting was over. Sixteen people and one little girl decided to stay and to hear what he had to say. Roberts wasted no time in getting to the heart of the message. He spoke about a fullness of the Holy Spirit and was available for Christians but declared that they must fulfil four conditions. Confess all known sin to God. Put away all doubtful habits, obey the Holy Spirit promptly, and confess Christ publicly. His teaching was accompanied with a deep sense of Holy Spirit conviction, and by the end of the night, all 16 young, all 16 young people and adults had confessed Christ. So powerful was his first meeting that Roberts was given a second night to share, and then a third. With each passing night, more and more people came. By the second week, the church was packed out and the revival was on. While Evan Roberts seemed to be God's chosen instrument to spearhead the revival, he was by no means the whole of it. As word of what God was doing in Lahore spread, fervent prayer for awakening went forth all over Wales, And those prayers were heard almost instantly. Within weeks, the fires of revival were blazing all through the nation. The effects were astonishing. Churches which had been only half full were now unable to hold all the people eagerly coming to find Christ. Services which now had been formal and lasting exactly the designated time were now hotbeds of prayer and praise and singing, starting sometimes at six in the evening and going on till past midnight. One pastor, when asked about the times of his services, replied from six until midnight. The astonished inquirer said, you mean you have church from 6pm until midnight? No, said the pastor. I meant from 6am until midnight. Within a couple of months, Wales was a changed nation. Crime was reduced to almost nothing. Often magistrates were given a ceremonial pair of white gloves when they arrived at the courtroom, signifying that there were no cases to try. There was a wave of bankruptcies as taverns were nearly vacant One man found himself as the only patron in a tavern when a group of young enthusiastic youths from the revival meetings came past the building singing praises to God. The tavern owner, sickened by his loss of business, growled at them and threw a couple of empty ale pots at the youths. The patron went out into the street and joined the singing group as they made their way to the church where he gave his life to Christ. A reporter went to a police station wondering what the policeman did uh, when when there was so little crime. He was told, 
We used to serve two purposes, dealing with crime and controlling the crowds. Now that the revival has come, there is no crime, so we go where the crowds are, to the churches. We have several good singing voices among our policemen, so we have formed three quartets and sing at the meetings whenever we get the chance. The Linfield Valley Police Court had been averaging 700 cases per week six months before the revival. After the revival was going full force, the average was two. So radical was the change in the coal miners that there was a slowdown in the mines. The pit ponies, so used to being cursed at and screamed at by the ungodly miners, couldn't figure out what to do when their transformed masters spoke kindly to them. What then is revival? When we speak of revival, we're not talking about a group of special evangelistic meetings, but of a sovereign move of God as seen in the Welsh revival of 1903-1904. A nation was transformed in a matter of months during the Welsh revival. A heavenly influence shook thousands of unsaved people all at one time to get right with God. The pubs emptied, the workplace was ablaze with talk about salvation and the chapels, churches and mission halls overflowed with people wanting to get saved. Brothers and sisters, this morning as we reflect upon the the unfinished task, as we reflect upon the, the effect of revival within the church to recalibrate the direction and emphasis of churches, so that we are involved in disciple-making, disciples-making disciples, where ordinary people are used by God to spread the good news. This is an urgent personal plea that you might join with me in praying for spiritual revival. If we're going to finish the unfinished task, we ourselves need revival. Our churches need revival. Our nation needs a revival. Only God can send a revival, but when God's people pray, God hears and answers. Will you pray earnestly and passionately with me? Please, God, send a revival and start the work in me. Come, Holy Spirit, empower and fill us for your glory. Let's bow together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning and for your word, for the example that Paul has given as he used all means at his disposal to communicate the good news of the gospel. Father, we pray that we'll examine our own hearts so that our resources, our time, will be used for the cause of the kingdom. That, Father, as a community of faith, We will step out in faith, trusting you to bless the resources that we release for the cause of the kingdom so that the task, the unfinished task will be finished, so the unreached will be reached, so that the scriptures will be translated and available to people throughout the nations. Lord, we're trusting you that as we unite with the cause of the kingdom and your purposes, that, Father, we will expectantly uh, look forward to that day 
when every tribe and nation and tongue and language will be represented before the great great white throne. Help us to, to pray for the unreached peoples of the world and to pray that your spirit will move afresh upon our nation as we confess our sins and as we as your people pray so that our nation will return to you. Lord, we, we thank you and we ask that your Holy Spirit will empower us for the purpose that you have called us to yourself. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. And the people said, Amen. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And God bless you in the week ahead.